0: Hello there, everyone, to another episode of Sight to be with you, episode 10. In fact, in this episode, I am joined by the legend that is Jennifer Kretschmer. Like, Jen is just an absolute legend, an actor, writer, producer, TTRPG extraordinaire, actual play legend, accessibility consultant, disability activist, like anything you can think of, Jen is doing it all the time amazingly well. Uh, like many of the people that have been on the show this season, uh, Jen is someone that I got the pleasure of working with at PAX East after being a huge fan, and we talk about TDRPGs, uh, we talk about accessibility and inclusion, we talk about the behind the scenes stuff of your favourite actual plays, and so much more. This is a really special episode, I really really hope you enjoy it. Here it is now. Hello there everyone and welcome back to another episode of psyched to be with you with me your host Christopher Leach and again another super mega special awesome guest. Now listeners if you've been with me before you know that I have been prone to being starstruck and to on occasion ever so slightly swoon over my guests. Uh, I'm afraid we're gonna have to dial those both up to maximum if not going beyond whatever we have had before for this guest. I'm tremendously excited. This is perhaps one of the last few times I'll say someone I met through PAX-ish related shenanigans. Uh, this is episode 10 coming up, so yeah, I'm I'm really excited. This is going to be special. Uh, buckle up, get yourself a beverage, uh, and get ready to enjoy. All that's left for me to do is pass over to you, my very special guest, if you could please tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Jen Kretschmer. I am an author. Um, I wrote on Campbell Keep Mysteries for D and D, um, Starfinder, uh, Haunted West. I'm working on a Nazi Tapestry of Lives for Neverending and a few other things that I can't talk about yet. Um, I'm also a producer, I'm a streamer, I'm on Children of Erte, um, which is DemiPlane's show with our DM Deborah Ann Roll. Um, I am part of Vampire the Nightlife for Renegade. Um, radiant stories again for never ending um i'm an actor i do all sorts of stuff there i'm a disability consultant Um, i've worked for a bunch of different places including skybound on the walking dead franchise um and i created the accessibility and gaming resource guide so yeah i do all sorts of stuff (laughs) i mean a lot of weird jobs it might have
0: been quicker (laughs) to say what don't you do that might have been a shorter answer am i right such as the talent and expertise on display
1: sports is the answer there
0: <laughs> okay fair yeah, we just haven't found the right sport yet that's what i would say uh like yeah so uh jen am i right to call you jen is that all right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely. okay excellent uh, i had the pleasure of sharing the east stage with you at pax east 2022 i forgot what year it was for a second um, when we did our panel on disability, the plot device that was amazing. Uh, I'm going to say again, just for the sake of it being on tape. Uh, thanks for being a part of that. I just kind of like shot it's an, an arrow panel. in the dark because you're so big on Twitter with what you do with your disability stuff. I was a huge fan for far too long. Um, I've, I will not shy away from that. Uh, so yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate that. You do a lot of cool stuff. Thank
1: you for having me.
2: Yeah. Let's
0: let's tear into that a little bit more. So. you you do act and stuff Talk to me about that
1: um I've been doing acting since I was a kid um I just there there's something really I, I love storytelling in any form and so that's one form of storytelling um writing is in a lot of ways very similar um but yeah I started acting when I was seriously when I was about 12 and then you know never stopped um And so I've, I've worked in theater and in, in film and TV and it's, uh, it's a ton of fun. I really, I love it. Um, yeah.
0: (laughs) And then, and then you bring that to stuff like actual plays is how they're called, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think what has happened with actual places has become this amazing fusion of, you know, writing and performing and storytelling and gameplay. Um, and it's just been, it's been amazing to see that industry pop up and and create these opportunities for people to have this new medium. And and I think it's an art form um, to express ourselves.
0: So I, for the longest time, was the wrong type of nerd, and I'd never got into TTRPGs. Just never. It was No such I'd never thing. Got into uh, <laughs> and did, and I immediately fell in love with it because it combined some of my favorite things stats and funny voices uh, mm-hmm. and that is an ideal combination in any regard in my view uh so just for for the sake of listeners that maybe maybe don't know what the heck we're talking about let's just dive yeah. into that a little bit so you are you're doing acty things with a thing where we roll dice
1: yeah so so the idea behind a tabletop role playing game is that you are taking on if you're a player if you're if you're the dungeon master or game master, it's a little bit different because you're controlling the environment and the the non-player characters. But if you are a player, you are taking on the persona of a character and you have um, stats and traits and abilities that that character would have. um, And you are put into situations and you react in the ways which that character would react. And you interact with the rest of your party as that character. So, For some people, that means describing that, Um, and then for some people, that means really like acting it out and getting into character with voices. Some people like to dress up. Some people do a mix of all of those things. So it it really can be very individual how role-playing manifests, but for a lot of actual plays, um, performers are drawn to to them because it's an opportunity to do you know improvisational storytelling with people um but with these characters that are following game mechanics and game stats
0: that was a, a better description than i think i could ever come up with because it's like turn up and try and be entertaining i guess <laughs> like I, again very little experience i've done like a little bit of D D, like as a player i've done a little bit of dune uh like choose the 2d 20 system as a mm-hmm. player and as a, a gm um, players never do what you think they're going to do. Am I right? Never. Like, never. You know, it always. You can time. think
1: you've anticipated everything and they will do something that you, you couldn't have possibly expected.
0: I think it... it I mean, it, it, I'm interested in speaking to you as someone who's, who's an actor and sort of is a professional and embodying these people because we, I kind of let the stats guide the kind of character that I want to be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, in a previous game I played... Hey, take this psychomancer, who so is a cleric. So, like, I was like, okay, this is almost the antithesis of me, because they have like no intelligence. I perceive myself to be intelligent, well, um, but they're like very, you know, they're wise. They believe in faith, and you know, like trying to embody that was different to sort of my everyday experience. Now, yeah. when you take that to like a professional level, how do you get inside like the the, the personality of a character, but also allow what they do be up to
1: chance? So, I mean, I think it's a mix of a couple of things. Um, Preparing for an acting role is a little bit different in some ways because you know where the story is going to go. So you can prepare to tell that arc and you're working on dialogue and creating subtext and things like that. When you're doing an actual play, you have no idea what's going to happen. So um, you can get to know your cast and you can sort of get a sense of how they usually respond to things. And if you've been in the cast for a while, you sort of know how characters respond and what your function in the party is, both as a, a character and an archetype, but also as a, as a player and as a personality and a human, um, as a you human. Um but no i i think you you do let the stats lead you i think they do inform how you react to what's happening so if you have a high in, like a, if you have a character for me i always think of intelligence more as book learning rather than yeah. intellectual capacity because i think there's a a tendency to really kind of skew into some very ableist notions when you go into to intelligence ideas um so uh i know there are there are also definitions that i like that have to do with memory um and your ability to retain information. Mm -hmm. Um, But so if I'm going, okay, so this is a person who hasn't had a lot of schooling and education, but they have high wisdom. So they're very perceptive. They're, they're going to have a quick, with a quick scan of their surroundings, they're going to pick up on a lot of things. They're going to notice a lot of things. They're going to be very aware of what's happening. Um, then I can lean into those things as we're talking. You know, I might not have my character use big words and they might not always understand um, any sort of academic things that people are talking about or history or have a a reference point for those things, but they're going to have these other types of awareness um, that are important and valuable to the story. Um, They also are likely to have a little bit more impulse control than some of the other characters might, you know, and those are things that are going to inform that I also love letting the dice dictate my responses to things so I will roll to see how an interaction is going and then respond accordingly a lot of people try and play out a scene without rolling the dice or they'll roll the dice after doing a, a moment so if you're doing like a charisma check on something um for me i'd rather do that check in the beginning so i know how i want to play that moment out and and react to something
0: yeah i'm Um, a a big fan of that like roll the dice and then play it out like describe what you want to do with because it
1: makes the it makes it makes successes fun but it also makes failures fun um you know i have a character who the first time she ever brought out a, a a bladed weapon rolled a crit and so all of a sudden she's like, oh, maybe this is actually a good idea. Maybe this is something this character should lean into rather than, you know, shy away from. Or a character who horrifically fumbles something might in the future never want to do that thing again. Um, and, and that's fun to let those roles inform the arc of the character. Um, not just that particular moment, but, but just how that person develops. You know, trying to think of these not just as a collection of numbers, but as actual people with ambitions and goals and interests and who are responding and learning from what they're doing. I mean, that's literally the function of experience points is to have experience and learn from it and use that to grow and develop.
0: OK, uh, one of the little threads I just want to pull pull on for, for a second Something you mentioned there was like, you know, when you say you're doing acting um it's like you have a script you kind of know the story of, of the film or the production or whatever but you don't have that in actual place right and just just because I, I heard the audible gasps but it's all improv right like the whole point of a ttrpg setting is that the world is co-created by everyone at the table and that means anything can happen and nothing is on the cards until it is
1: so i i think there are I think there are a range of ways that people do actual plays. um, And I think depending on what style of actual play you're working on, they can go in different ways. So I have done shows where we'll have sort of, guide posts especially when you have a shorter run of something when you only have three episodes or you only have six episodes and you're trying to feature a, a new system or a product and you want to make sure that you get to hit certain moments and show things off you might have a conversation with the dm saying hey we need to get to a certain point today so i need you all to make sure that you hit when you hit this fork in the path if you can take the right side i don't care what else you do but just take the right path mm-hmm. um and, and head toward the, the temple or whatever it is. Um, that, that's kind of the extent usually of the most scripting you'll have. Um, and that's usually because you have only a very limited time and you want to tell a cohesive story. And you are aware, for me, an actual play has, you have to respect your audience and their time. Um, and it should be entertaining you know to me an actual play is not your home game put on stream um an actual play needs to be taking the audience into account and welcome welcoming them in to that story I just had a and few including them gasps there <laughs> i know i know shocking right um but so i come at this from kind of a directorial perspective as well as a production perspective um Of wanting to give a satisfying episode. I want my episodes to have a beginning, middle and end. I want my, my, you know, season arc to have a beginning, middle and end. And I want my story arc to have a beginning, middle and end. Um, I think that's important because I want to have an emotionally satisfying story for an audience. So sometimes that means you have to work with your team. You also want to have conversations and communication with your group. If you're doing a show to make sure that you're getting interesting dynamics and interesting balances and characters who can function together as a unit. Because if you get characters who are not going to speak to each other the entire series, that can be funny for one episode. But if you're talking 60, 100, 200 episodes and both players have decided, oh, my character would never be willing to work with this person or talk to them, that's not a functional plan <laughs> well, I feel for, like that's, for, a, for a show
0: that's something that like you see like in tv shows you have like the, the grumpy older pairs and the, the plucky younger one they don't see it, like, like
1: if you eventually... want to do it like a like a legolas gimli thing yeah that's great but that you need to be planning an arc for that and how you're going to make that work and and that requires a sense of where you're going a bit or at least a conversation between the two players going so here's the arc we want to go on and involving the dm in that conversation but that again you're taking out a little bit of the improvisational nature of the development of those relationships um i i generally think that those kinds of relationships are are not fantastic at at most tables mm-hmm. i think having you know parties player groups and parties that are uh going to work together towards common goals and be able to communicate as a group, um, both as players but also as characters, really makes for a more fun game for everyone. Generally, I, mm-hmm. I I see far fewer issues when groups are are cohesive like that than when they are when people are sort of trying to do very different things and don't have a common purpose.
0: So uh, and have we... created
1: characters that don't work together.
0: Yeah, no, I can I can see that. So we can sort of see, I can think it's quite easy to follow like the path of, like you said, You start acting really young, and then I can see why people might see how that would lead to something like an actual play, right? But how did you end up breaking into, like, because cause I always joke that, like, I'm good at funny voices, but I don't know how to play in D&D that that well. There's a lot of stuff to read, right? How did you There's end up so much material. breaking into, like,
1: the industry? Because it's kind of boomed <laughs> in the last sort of five.
2: it's it's been
1: wild to see how the industry's grown in the last few years um i never planned this i was you know producing full-time i was working in tv full-time um as a producer and uh but I was I was playing games. I had friends who were playing games, and I, I started doing some streaming. I started doing some charity events, um, but I also started. Uh, I eventually made my own show. You know, I had I had been developing a show and had talked to Wizards of the Coast about that project, which ended up not going. But then I had another project that that we I developed that we did go with, and we did make um, leading up to the Descent, which was the the Avernus book launch. Um, and it did very well, and we were very lucky. It was incredibly well-received. It was really different than than any other shows that were out there at that point. Um, I had already been on a number of actual plays and things, but I think when I started out, I, I think part of the reason is I started in the industry very early in, in the era of people doing actual play and talking about tabletop. But I also think there weren't a lot of people like me um, at the time. I think mostly it was, it was, you know, cishet white men. Um, Whoa, not a on. lot of, I know surprised. it's shocking, right? <laughs> um, there weren't a lot of disabled people. Um, there weren't a lot of, of non-men. Um, talking about playing, um, playing on stream. Or, and in particular DMing or talking about DMing. And I had been playing D&D at that point, probably for 15 years um, and DMing for, you know, a substantial portion of that, but, uh, you know, now it's been over 20. And so it was, a i i I had been involved in the game in a really long time and had been really passionate about it for a long time. So I think that was part of it as well is that I, I really felt like I ha- had credibility in terms of when I got challenged on my experience, which is what happens whenever you are, you know, in a, in a geek hobby often, mm-hmm. I had no problem, you know, talking about FACO and talking about, you know, things from previous editions, which unfortunately, you know, there was a lot of sort of proving that you belonged. Um, so I think those were all part of it. So I think a lot of it was just right place, right time. Um, and and then all of a sudden the industry was enormous and that was just a, a, a wild thing to see happen um and then i was writing and consulting and things just kept kept growing so it's just it's been an incredible experience but i i don't think that there's a i don't think there's a secret i think everyone's experience with with breaking in is is very different Mm um i think mark wade said that uh it's it's like breaking out of prison no one does it the same way and once you do they close that way up behind you um for for, for breaking into comics and and i think for tabletop it's it's the same thing it's a very unique journey
0: it's interesting that you touch on uh, gatekeeping as well because i think I, I, i'm a nerd and, I, and there's been a great synthesis of nerd geek culture however you want to spin it over the past decade i mean i remember when going to see a marvel movie people raise their eyebrow at you you know i remember mm-hmm. those days um, and it's interesting that you point out gatekeeping and, like, that essence of having to prove yourself in, like, this already, like, I'm not going to use a minority, but, like, niche circle anyway. Like, a lot of people might think, I mean, well, that's I... where the nerds go.
1: I was going to, a my my local game store for many years was this tiny hole in the wall that, you know, stacked to the ceiling with dusty games and minis and things and it was years before they would even talk to me and it you know everyone assumed I was there to buy books for my boyfriend and you know that that was standard fare but I've also worked in male-dominated industries my entire life and you know I I worked at a comic book store these were not these weren't new experiences for me um unfortunately they were common experiences um Mm -hmm. And I, I would like to, see, I, I'm glad that has reduced, but it certainly has not gone away. And, you know, every however many months we have to do the, the, the women have been involved in D&D from the beginning and, you know, queer people have been involved in D&D from the beginning, like it just all of those conversations we have to keep repeating. And it's, it's
2: not <laughs> tired, ideal. Tired, so tight,
1: right? like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. No, I, I can resonate with that. So that's, that's, that's one, that's one big tick. Let's talk about uh, accessibility consultancy. Talk about mm-hmm. that. Can you tell us a little bit about what that, that involves, how how you sort of got there as well?
1: Yeah. So I've been doing work in, in disability for a very long time. I've been, you know, involved with the disabled community since I was a, a kid really. And then um, I studied disability studies uh, in college at UC Berkeley. and had been, you know, involved in disability activism, disability justice movement stuff um, for a long time. And I had noticed that there was a real lack of representation of disability in, in tabletop games, in fantasy worlds, um, and had started, you know, designing around that and, and speaking out about it about six years ago. I think I I put out a survey because I had started designing some different devices and things like that um and was planning on writing a book about it and um put out a survey saying hey if you're you know a disabled person who plays tabletop games what is missing what is inaccessible about these these products for you what would you like to see in them more um and i got a huge response to it and ended up you know messaging wizards of the coast and saying look i have this amazing information i really think it's important that you you take a look at it, you know, may I send it over? Um, and, and really tried to have a lot of conversations because at that point, there was no accessible format for for the core books. Um, so, you know, anyone who used a screen reader or alternate formats had no access to the material. Um, there just was, there was zero disability representation really in in the game other than the occasional like very tropey blind monk kind of situation um or villainy tropes around you know facial or limb difference and things like that um monstrosity blah 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 Mm -hmm. um and and to me they were important conversations when you have 26 percent of the world like being disabled but we we should be having representation of that and especially in fantasy worlds where you're fighting monsters and you know to me that just seems like you would have higher rates of disability than the real world i mean it just for so many reasons it's much cheaper to go build ramps than it is to keep having clerics come do very expensive procedures uh to regrow limbs that have been lost but also if you have limb difference from birth that's not something that the magic uh, at least in the rules could could change mm-hmm. and also not everybody wants to change it it's not it's not a bad thing um, so you know all of those things are are um were things that i started talking about so people started asking about consulting um the more i talked about it and um i i so i do sensitivity consulting i do reading on material i look at uh, mechanics people put out Um, Mostly I do a lot of story consulting. I teach people about disability tropes, um, stigmatizing language, things like that. Um, And then I got really tired of answering the same five or six questions over and over. So I created the accessibility and gaming resource guide um, so that I could say, here here are resources. If you can go take a look at these, educate yourself. And if you can't find the information in here, then we can have the higher order discussions at that point. But Mm -hmm. here's the material you need to do one-on-one and please go go do this so that you know people can not have to have those conversations constantly um but i think we are seeing better representation both in in tv and film in in games in who is getting to play those games on camera things like that so i i really am am very excited you know um i worked on I, think I have it nearby i worked on clementine yeah here we go um worked on this graphic novel um nice. for walking dead and you know this is a a queer black young woman who's an amputee and she's our lead character and she's awesome and for this book we had multiple consultants come in and talk to the team, and make sure that we were getting really good authentic representation and there's a scene in, in the graphic novel where clem gets fitted for a prosthetic and i've never seen that in any media ever um and i think it's really meaningful and really important um, and destigmatizes a lot of this
0: no i think you you know you're incredibly articulate i know you're used to talking about this you know what i mean but i think it's really important to point out that you're doing amazing work. that's really important Thank just you. to highlight uh like it's it's one of those i think it's easy to look at like the guide and just not like appreciate the effort that went into producing it um and i think even on like a base level like as someone who just like walked into ttrpgs one day like you know i i spoke to i went to like play at a cafe and spoke to the gm and i was like by the way i'm blind i don't think the standard character sheet's useful for me they were able to just go online like i found a large print version like so easily um and it's really useful. I keep it, I keep a blank PDF version of it. Um and as you mentioned, like the core books, like just having it on like an app to read is yeah. so much better than... I mean
1: D D Beyond, I don't even think realized what an asset it was for the Blind Low Vision community when they launched the site. You know, that and that that there were I know it's not perfect in terms of tables and things, but to even have the material from the books in an even a semi accessible format was such a leap forward. And they're they're continuing to improve that, you know, with consultants and it's constantly getting better and better. So the fact that now you have a format where you can you can enlarge the font, where you can get a screen reader to read the books as soon as they're released, that's an equity of access that never existed before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's huge.
0: Yeah, no, it, it really is. And I think it's just it is. It's a testament to people like yourself who who have made people like me be able to join join the table, if you will. You know, and I think it's just it's just really important to highlight that. I don't think that it's not like people aren't give it, giving you enough credit personally, but we really need to be mindful of the fact that there is a lot of work that goes into this. Uh, just as you say, cause there's generally... a huge
1: community too who are doing doing that work and working to make you know content accessible to you know publish in accessible formats to caption streams like there are so many things that people are doing now that they weren't before and and there are so many people who are vocally advocating for it, it it's really remarkable
2: mm-hmm. I mean
1: we still have more to do but it, it's been you compare now to a year ago and you compare, compare a year ago to five years ago and it's it's just night and day it's a it's a completely different world so can... we're getting accessibility information in in official books we're yeah. getting things like the fate accessibility toolkit which is just one in any um and is one of them it's the reason i didn't publish my book is because that book was so comprehensive and extraordinary um and and written by many disabled people about their lived experiences and translating that into game mechanics um it's amazing it's just spectacular
0: so i know you mentioned a little bit before about like you kind of live in this magical i'm going almost like feels like espionage world of ndas and such, <laughs> where do. all these yeah. wonderful things are happening behind the scenes um can you tell us about anything that you're you, you're else that you're working on recently or that is sort of like come out you mentioned that you're on a few shows at the moment like do you want to sort of mention anything yeah, yeah
1: yeah things? i can talk about the shows i'm on um i am currently on three different streaming shows um though vampire is close to wrapping up um but on uh on Tuesdays on the demiplane channel I am part of Children of Airte, which is a show that uh is DM by Deborah Ann Woll and our cast is me Adam Bradford Lauren Urban Hope Lavelle uh and Alicia Marie and it's uh it's 5e but it's modified 5e because we are we started the story as characters in the real world and we have gone to a place where magic is slowly suffusing us and transforming us, and we are we're sort of in a magical world now that we are exploring and uh i I love those people I've played with most of them for many, many shows over the course of the last five years and i i I love them like family so mm. that's a an incredible group and Deborah is such a phenomenal storyteller I mean her world is so beautiful and nuanced and evocative it's incredible um so we are 20 episodes in on that we've been going you know since march Mm -hmm. on that show um and i am so proud of that show i think we we all i think we all put more work into those characters than any other characters we've ever played um which is saying something Mm -hmm. um wednesdays i play vampire uh vampire the masquerade We have a a campaign set in Miami um, that is a really fun show. We're in our second season um, and we're just a chaotic kind of ridiculous coterie who just gets into lots and lots of trouble. And I I love that cast and that's a fun one. Um, We all dress up for that one. And so we all look very different. And my character there is just cynical and, angry <laughs> um she's a lot of fun not she's has really and at all. Oh, yeah. vicious lasombra um that's where i just get to unleash my you know when i've had a bad week i wait for wednesday and then i get to just <laughs> unleash <laughs> unleash giselle um who also has like this fantastic backstory that i'm very proud of um but it's it's a it's a ton of fun and vampire is such an interesting system um and and their lore goes so deep um that it, it's really it's a blast. Uh, and then Fridays I'm on uh we're doing a show that is a collection of adventures from Journey Through the Radiant Citadel, which is the book that came out from Wizards of the Coast, um, that was the first ever book written by an all POC um creative team. And the it's incredible. It's a collection of of one shots as well as a setting, um, kind of a a almost like a sigil-like port city that b- can become a hub to other places but also functions as its own setting. Um, and in that, I play a cottage core, college of creation bard, uh, who's a spring Aladrin, and um, they channel their magic through flower arranging and sound like they're from Fargo. <laughs> <That> <laughs> and it's... Sounds great. They're a delight. I I love it. And And we're getting to play with a number of the authors from the book, Um, And also, speaking of sports, um, Johnny Stanton's been on our cast uh, last week and we'll be back this week. I I know this is airing way down the line after that is long done. But um, it's just, that's one of the things that's kind of funny about my job is like who my colleagues are now because I, I just crack up sometimes when I look at who I get to work with on some of these projects because when I was younger, if you told me you know some of the tables that I would get to sit at and you know people I have watched on tv or in movies um for many years and really admire and respect um or or you know sports figures or pro wrestlers or like there are so many incredible people um authors that that's been one of the really amazing things about getting to do this as as a as a job now
0: Sorry, I'm sorry. For the benefit of listeners, I'm sorry. With just a big grin on my face, just because like your excitement is so palpable. Like I love it. Like it genuinely feels so infectious. You can hear it. Um,
1: what... I mean, it, it, I get, I get paid to go play games. I mean, it's the best job ever.
0: <laughs> I mean, you don't have to rub um, it in. Come on.
1: <laughs> but also, I just, I'm very, very lucky on so many levels. Um, because of the pandemic. If I had not been able to really lean into this stuff and and hadn't, you know, been doing this for several years prior and and sort of starting to establish myself in this industry, I don't know what I would have done to survive the pandemic career-wise because I still can't go on set. You know, the pandemic's not over <laughs> and and we're Maybe three years in, in and I... People. Yeah, shocking. Um, it doesn't go away just because people stop wearing masks. In fact, <laughs> not the best plan. Um, and so I can't, I can't go beyond set with two hundred people anymore. Um, in the same way, it's just not safe. Um, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm, you know, compromised. I have, I, I didn't mention. Also, I, I didn't do a, a visual description. I'm sorry. Um, I am a, a, a white person, femme presenting. I'm wearing a black shirt. I have. A uh, red curly hair or wavy hair, um, and I'm sitting in front of kind of a magical forest background. Um, I, I apologize for not saying that earlier. No, it's right. um, I,
0: I like. I don't think I've. I think I've done one like once, just because obviously I don't really change. I just go think of a think of psychologist make it albino. You there? Uh, <laughs> like, and, and, am I wrong though? You know what I'm saying? It's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, thank you for the um, description there
1: Yes. And I was saying something before that and I completely blanked because I have ADHD and my brain just did a little bit. Oh, I was, cause I was talking about my disabilities. Um, so I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. I also have POTS um, and MCAS and a, a bunch of other fun and exciting things, but I am in the, you know, compromised. So I've been in basically total isolation for three years um, with one little three month lip where I, I didn't have to be quite as careful but was still very careful um but the only reason i have been able to continue to make a living is because of you know virtual work Mm -hmm. and because i was already set up to continue streaming um that i had the equipment from the beginning of the pandemic so as soon as people had nothing to do we started doing more streaming shows and had the gear to do it um so I'm, I'm just so grateful to this industry for many 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 reasons.
0: There was there was But several. I n- I
1: never expected to do this full time.
0: I mean I think it obviously we, we all sort of understand that the boom that there was during the pandemic with sort of e technologies and there was a joke at the time like it's the rise of the nerds because all of us that knew how to work from home were already winning. Um but I think you're right I think it has it has boomed but I think it it good because it allows people like yourself to flourish and I think that's important. Um I so this is cheeky. It's cheeky of me to ask. You don't have to, but could you give because obviously I I know I know a bit of your work, you know. Did you maybe give us a little flavor of some of your characters or maybe some of the voices?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Now I'm gonna be embarrassed 'cause um uh, so <laughs> uh, so Maeve who is my character on Children of Air is uh I, I am not going to give her class or race because those are things that are being slowly revealed um so there's still speculation on that but um Maeve is uh she's 22 she's very much responsibility avoidant um (laughs)
2: like like every 22 year
1: old right like yeah um and she's irish american and she is a, a troublemaker she's a prankster she's heavily based on jim halpert from the office and nice. um lulu from crashing phoebe waller bridge's character from from crashing and a little bit of matilda wormwood in there um I'm like, and you've just said yeah.
0: three pop culture references and i understood all of them i feel proud of yeah girl.
1: yeah it's it, like I i just needed those touchstones to find her and that's as soon as i had that i was like oh i know exactly who she is so she's really fun and and i wanted to have because children verte is is basically a it's a fairy tale um i wanted to go to the root i love fairy tales i love mythology and folklore and so many of those
0: are magical woodsy background doesn't give that away at all
1: no not at all um no but but i i've academically studied a lot of folklore and and mythology and things and i i'm fascinated by sort of the liminal phases that that you're going through to, for those stories. There's, there are always stories about about change and transition, mm-hmm. um, and finding yourself. And so, to me, the modern equivalent it, it used to be when you were, you know, in your early teens. And now, to me, it's like the just out of college, don't really have a career path yet, don't know what you're doing with yourself in the world, haven't figured out how to be a person completely. Um, and so, I wanted to have Maeve in that place when we started and we, we moved forward with that so that's that's Maeve um Giselle is a little bit older than than Maeve um she's really goth she's really sarcastic her her habits for feeding involve uh basically rubbing the person's face in their own failures <laughs> she's a lasombra, so lasombras are all about um I mean, they're basically social Darwinists. The The idea is, like, we're going to make things as difficult as possible for you. And if you can survive that and succeed, then y- you are worthy of, you know, being one of us and of of having power. But you have to fight for everything. So, so she's constantly looking for the person who's not in first place but is hungry and is in second place. Mm. Um, and that's the person she'll go after. But uh, she is really... She's a fun, spooky troublemaker too. I've I've two troublemakers and then I have Wisteria, who's my Radiant Stories uh, Spring aladrin. Who you know Wisteria's just here and she really and Wisteria just they really want to have a nice time. They run a book club with their friend Edity, who's a myconid, and uh they they like to make tea and all of the flowers that Wisteria Wisteria's almost almost reads like a druid, but they're a bard. Um I looked into flower languages um and the radiant citadel is very much a a a place where cultures where there's a lot of fusion and so mm-hmm. so many cultures have flower arranging as an art form um and so I thought that was a really interesting way to um to channel that in and so I went and found flower languages so all of Wisteria's spells are tied to specific flower language meanings um yeah
0: Uh, that's just it's so good it's just so interesting like again like it's that like for for maybe like you might myself is a more casual player the fact that you like you can so easily and like you embody those people despite the disparate differences and you just kind of know who they are is really really cool
1: it takes a lot of work though i mean that's not an that's not an instant thing and and there are certainly shortcuts for some characters or if i'm doing a one-shot and i need a character you're always going to go for a broader character who. You know, it's better to sort of have a, a one-trick pony um for a one-shot where you're just your character has one gimmick and one sort of ongoing joke. But when you're talking about a character like Maeve, who I knew I was gonna have to play for years potentially, um I did so much work on her. Um and and as a group, we did a lot of work together, you know, talking about who our characters were and really trying to think about flaws for them because we knew we had the time to let them go on a journey and grow. Um, but also what we could learn from each other. So for example, Maeve has some real trust issues and we have a character named Robin who's a woman in her eighties and she had a wonderful, loving partnership with someone for many, many, many years. Um, and so Maeve can learn from that. Like there's something about seeing someone who who really gained so much from from that partnership that Maeve can go oh that actually maybe that's not such a bad thing maybe that's something I I do want to have at some point in my life um or uh one of the other characters Maeve, and this other character actually work at the same law firm Maeve works in the mail room and this character is a high-powered lawyer and Mave, so Maeve looks at Firuza and she goes you know they're the same age basically too But Maeve can look at Firuza and go, oh, this is a person who's very accomplished and has a direction and knows what they're doing. Um, Maeve is really smart, but she intentionally makes bad choices. Um, But looking at people who are intentionally making good choices is something to learn from over the course of the series. So every single character has something that's a potential point of conflict and a a potential point of connection um, that I think... Really informed how we design those characters, and I mean, I, I have pages and pages and pages of work I did on Maeve before she ever saw the screen. Um, I have journals I wrote as her, like I did. I did basically an acting preparation for Maeve.
0: I think, I think it's worth pointing out, if you will, pardon the both localized in terms of me being English and a football/soccer fan, but also the slight swoon. Like, you know, it's important for listeners to understand that we're not just talking. You like, you know, you are a professional. You're like the, you know, the top tier, you're the Premier League of TTRPGs, with the most Salah, if you will. Like, you know, we're not just talking about like, oh, I'm going to roll some dice with some pals. And that's why it's important that like all that effort goes into making a character that is, uh, I think, but believable. I think, uh, who was it? I think it might have been like Meatloaf that talked about like when you're on stage, you're there to sell something to the audience. And ideally they should, for that moment, suspend their belief in reality and believe that it's real.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's, I mean, suspension of disbelief is part of of storytelling, right? I mean, you you go to the movies, you know that the people on screen are not actually these people, but you're willing to accept that they are for that couple of hours. You're willing to to engage with their story. The interesting thing about tabletop is often you'll have people sort of switching between themselves and their characters because you'll, you'll be providing commentary and you'll be describing what you're doing as well as having the dialogue in character. So it's a little bit different than going to see a play um, or even seeing an improv show where people are in character the whole time. You're, you're coming in and out of it, which is really interesting. But I also do want to note that just because this is my job, I've, I've I also still play in home games. I still play with friends and often with a lot of the people I I do shows with. But um, it's always been very important for me ever since this became my job um, that I also have games where I can show up in my pajamas and eat pizza and not have to worry about if I mess up a spell or if I do a mechanic wrong or if I make a bad choice or a mistake, Um, you know that i i need to keep a love of the game you know for myself um as well as coming in and doing doing the professional work mm-hmm. in the industry
0: well that acts as a very nice segue to of so my next sort of formalized question if you will is what do you like to do when you're not working now obviously you know as you touched on before covid with standard um what is it what is it that you do when you're not working obviously you mentioned you, you still play games but what else what tells a bit more about i you. still
1: play games um i i i love tv and film um i'm fascinated by those processes so i watch a lot of tv and film um i read i love comics again you know, i'm a huge nerd um <laughs> but I, I do say. do a lot of game work um I hang out with friends. We, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um,
2: you're, it's you're weird. I just being, just right
1: because, here. yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of strange interests, but also the weird thing about what I do is because I have so many different parts of my job. Often it doesn't feel like I just get stuck doing one thing. So I, I get to switch modes throughout the day, you know, um, today I'm doing this and then I'm meeting with a, a group of people on a different project doing something completely different. And then later today I have a show and, you know, th- you're just constantly sort of switching between modes. So it, it's never boring um, because it's always different. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's disability work and sometimes it's, it's, I'm working with, you know, video game teams. I just worked on for walking dead. We just did the last mile Uh which is a video game that uh is a, a really cool interactive um experience. I don't even know how to explain it. It's a <laughs> it's a massive interactive live experience, is what mile uh means. And and it's, you know, so I got to do some video game work and graphic novel stuff. And so you're just constantly going between these different modes and and trying to learn. And then also just trying to keep up with what's happening in all of those industries. Um yeah
0: so have you sort of watched anything that really sort of caught your eye recently i think because from what you've said and tell me if i'm wrong but it's a little known fact i actually did media uh, before i moved to psychology so like i kind of notice now that when i watch stuff it's like a dual modality of like Mm -hmm. watching it as a consumer and like analyzing it and then you throw psychology in there well i I basically can't watch anything for fun anymore i'm joking um but like you know there is this like weird sense of you can you almost have to like not watch something properly to be, be able to enjoy it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like I have like a lot of stuff like on my second yeah. screen and I can enjoy it more.
1: Yeah. I I, I love, um, part of it is though that I love filmmaking. And so I, I really enjoy, I mean, my brain does split into the, what kind of lens were they using there? How did they get that shot? You know, what did that person do in that performance? while watching the story but also um just appreciating the 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 piece for itself but you know i thought sandman was unbelievable i i'm a huge sandman fan i've i've cosplayed a couple of the endless and um i was very very nervous about that adaptation and i just feel like they knocked it out of the park um i thought that was just spectacular um i've been doing a, i've rewatched recently a All of Mike Schur's shows, I think those are incredible. So The Good Place and um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec. Um, I don't know. In terms of films, I thought The Green Knight was unbelievable. Um, Just the swings for the art form there was so phenomenal. Um, Mythic Quest is taking huge swings. Ted Lasso is taking huge swings um i mean there's there's so much out there that's so incredible um
0: there there is a lot of good stuff i think like yeah there's, there's there's an oversaturation of goodness
1: yeah there really is i mean we are we are so fortunate but also now you know we're getting into horror movie season which is one of my favorite things ever so i am <laughs> i i'm going to be Living in in that mode for a while. Not that that's a huge shift from what I normally do, but um I'm very excited for for Halloween season.
0: <laughs> okay. So if if sort of just then to sort of round off for sort of listeners' benefit, you know, you you finish work. What's the first thing you want to you want to do? What's that sort of like first like well, separation from I work? I mean, and...
1: it's tough because so often my day is so spread out. So yesterday I started my day, my first meeting. Uh, I'm working with a team that's based in the UK. So I had a meeting at 9am and then I worked all day and then we had a show at night. So I, you know, we finish at eight um, and then it's usually, it's usually trying to get something to eat, trying to, you know, get out of hair and makeup and, you know, into pajamas basically <laughs> as soon as you can, sweatpants um,
2: Big win. and
1: decompress a little bit, but often often at the end of the day, it's trying to make sure I've gotten through what I needed to do that day, switching my brain out of whatever the last thing was. And if I need to continue doing work, like last night, I still had work to do after I finished. So I worked until midnight last night. Yesterday was a long day. Um, But I, you know, I took a break to, to eat and change into, into comfy clothes. And then I worked and then I, got in bed and I watched uh what was I watching oh, I was re-watching Pushing Daisies, which I love. And and everything I watch gives me ideas. I mean I'm constantly writing down ideas of either things I want to write or things I want to develop or you know characters I might want to play or character, you know, or quests I might want to put into an adventure. Um every time I'm consuming media, there there is a part of my brain that's going, what can I take from this? What can I what can I steal? Um, cause sometimes, you know, I'll be doing, I've had weeks where I'm doing four charity events and I'll need to have characters for each of those. And you don't, if you can help it, you don't want to keep repeating characters. So it's every time you're trying to come up with something new,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, one shots are great for, for stealing characters from other things and putting them in. Um, that's a really, that's a, the best way to come up with a character on the fly for a one shot is just to to drag something out of another project and throw it into the
2: mm-hmm.
1: the one shot. So, um, yeah, but long days sometimes. Long days. But but also you'll sometimes have hours or two hours between things, so mm-hmm. it can be very weird.
0: Such is the the nature of like just being a a project modality. Like just like that's mm-hmm. the way it can go. Sometimes you can have random hours and then things like that. But it's good that yeah. you, put, you that you highlight that you do. Try and find time for breaks and food. Like, that's very important.
1: Yeah. And I also have little things for each, especially for the shows, to kind of switch myself into that show because it can get very confusing. One of my shows, uh, Radiant Stories, has three of us who are on um, Children of Aerte. So I look at my screen and I see the same three people and immediately, like, my instinct is to go into Maeve and it's like, no, 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 that's the wrong character. (laughs) So I have little cues I give myself for each of the shows. Um, you know, whether it's costume pieces, I have a perfume I use for Maeve so that I have a sensory cue. Um, Wisteria, I have a, a flower crown thing so I can actually see myself and go, oh, right, I'm this character. Um, Maeve has a playlist I listen to as I'm getting ready. Um, so I have opportunities to sort of switch modes into whatever i'm working on and i try and leave some time to decompress after because often after shows you know you go on this adrenaline rush and then you you need a little time to to come off of that hmm.
0: so one of my sort of next like again we have like a little list of fixed questions but we like to meander that's how we roll um but this one is kind of a nice one it's if you had no limitations so you had unlimited access to resources and people and expertise what's like one blue sky project you could do you'd, you'd want to do
1: I have a couple of different D&D TV show project ideas that I would really love to get made. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, with my TV production experience, I feel like there are there are things that that are I've really tried to develop as things that are very different than anything anybody's done before. Because I think one of the things that's happened with the boom of the tabletop industry is we've gotten very oversaturated with actual plays. Mm -hmm. And often people aren't using that as an opportunity to do something new. Um, So they all look alike, but they're also doing the same things. They're not really bringing in anything new. They're not bringing anything new to the table for lack of a better term. Um, And so when I'm thinking about the things I want to develop and I tend to be very deliberate and not put out a lot of things because I'm taking the time to make sure the project is the right project and it has the right people involved and that we're making something really, really different. Um, So I have a couple ideas, some of which are involve gameplay, some of which don't involve any gameplay at all. Um, Some of which are scripted, some of which are unscripted, you know, um, and I would love to get to to make one of those um, or a couple of those, um, yeah.
0: Like a couple of like I, I you think TV slots, having, like a couple of big productions, like
1: yeah. I mean, I think the thing. I mean, this is this is very inside baseball, but the the, the problem with adapting D and D for TV is D and D needs a lot of time mm-hmm. to work and and the reality with tv is you have an hour 42 minutes usually um and it it's how do you and, and also D is not visually that interesting to look at generally how do you keep the integrity of what the game is while also addressing those things and making it something that is watchable and that is fitting the 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 parameters that that the media format requires, um, and also the other the other big blue sky project I would love to do is I would love to have Del Toro make a Ravenloft film.
0: Oh, okay,
1: yeah, that's right. that's the other one that I that,
0: I want. Yeah, I love where you just like mic dropping that. So I am, but if I had the money, by the way, this okay, no, that's pretty. I just I, can... I
1: think that would be incredible, and and I think it's such a great setting for him to play with. Um but like,
0: yeah. Well, internet are you listening? Do your business. <laughs> get onto it. Let's make it happen. You know, like <laughs> uh one of the one of my favorite questions on this uh sort of show is what is there anyone or any any sort of thing that you wanna give like a little shout out to like a thanks. I think a lot you know the the sort of premise oh for gosh. this is why do we do the things that we do? How do we get there? What's the motivation? And I think a big part of that is usually people. I think it's really nice to just—I like to give my guests the chance to just shower like a person or a couple of people, um, just. To yeah, hear, I mean, that. That's I think impacted you.
1: I think, in general, the, the folks who are are really leading um, conversations in the disability community are are so important to my life and the way I look at the world um and the way i approach my work um so people like alice wong um people who are doing this this deeply foundational work um and you know tirelessly advocating for for access equity rights you know that that is i don't even have words for, for how important that is um and how much that has impacted uh my life and the work i do
2: no
0: that's fair that's yeah. fair but it's, it's nice to just to hear hear people talk about other people they like you know um i'm sort of always reticent to do this type of thing but i would be remiss if i didn't have you got any advice for people
1: playing ttrpg absolutely um So for for people playing TTRPGs in general or for people who are trying to pursue a career in the industry or... Uh, um, Whatever
0: you fancy, maybe you can just play and how can you improve
2: just as a player, you know, is a perfectly sort of good angle. um, Make your purpose at the table
1: to enable the success of the person next to you. Um, The more you can set up Everyone at the table to succeed, the more fun everyone's going to have. Um, and also, communication is key. You know, this is a game. If people aren't having fun, something is wrong, and you need to be stopping and talking about it. So, things like safety tools are really important. Um, but communication is absolutely essential. Um, I think those are those are sort of as a player, some of the most important things you can you can think about when you're when you're gaming um how can you set up the person next to you so that they their character can achieve the goals they want to achieve or how how can you work together to make something really cool happen um this is not a solo sport you know this is not a video game this is this is a collaborative storytelling endeavor <laughs> um and working as a team is always going to make for a much more fun interesting exciting experience than trying to go out there and solo it you know i think character flaws are really interesting um unbalanced characters are are interesting when it's designed not to min max but to create a a more nuanced person Mm -hmm. um because there's no winning D, you know you if you cap all your stats at 20 and you you know you have all of the magic items congratulations what are you going to do now <laughs> you know the, the 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 journey of of the story is is the important part and mm-hmm. and so focusing on the the story that you're telling about these characters and what they do is what's interesting um yeah that's i I hope that makes sense (laughs) no no
0: it did did. like it's just i think again if you don't know ttrpgs that well and i'm not pretending like i do but like i think it really is almost difficult to get your head around that and again
1: yeah one of one of my absolute favorite moments as a dm is when i have someone who's only played video games and they start playing tabletop games and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and they just have that moment where all of a sudden they they kind of knock up against a wall and the wall falls over and they go wait but there there's supposed to be a wall here and you know as the dm you're adjusting to the thing they did and they're going how is that happening Let's... and then they start sort of running around pushing down all the walls and 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 just realizing what they can do in a situation where it is infinitely flexible and responsive to their actions in a way that a video game never can be um not that i don't adore video games because i do but they do different things um, and what's amazing about tabletop is it's a place for connection between people.
0: Mm-hmm. I think you touch on something really interesting there because I, you know, I, I play a lot of games. Video games are my primary hobby, but when you sit down for a tabletop, it's like it's the the limitation is only it's not the code, it's not these invisible walls. It's like it's your imagination, and there's something mm-hmm. that you know, I know people in like educational psych that look at play and bring a play back into the classroom, but even just like the actual getting to use your own imagination and creating Mm -hmm. like a silly situation for your character to be in is so wonderful. Like it's such a delight. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you don't get to do that enough in like today's deeply cynical, rotten capitalist world.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you get to imagine, you can imagine better worlds. And also I think, you know, people talk so much about the realism of, of worlds and why things have to be, you know, gritty and bleak and all of these things. And, they use you know horrible real world things as motivation for things and and no we can imagine better worlds we we can imagine you know reasons to take action that are not rooted in racism and sexism and you know colonialism and it, there are other ways to approach this and and i think there is value to imagining worlds that are better um than our own um that are more inclusive that are more accessible like it costs nothing to imagine an accessible building in a fantasy game
0: that's, a, that's you don't have to a worry about that is. That's building
1: codes or permits like it's just as easy to make your setting completely accessible as it is to to you can just as easily describe a ramp as you can stairs
0: um one of my one of my favorite quotes Uh, around that is like um from take this as dr b and he's like one day Mm -hmm. i'm gonna play a character who's like a perfectly good childhood with parents that loved them and have no uh, significant trauma and like you know it just never happens because like you can imagine that (laughs) like it could happen oh
1: yeah no i i I don't often play orphans. I don't often play i mean significant trauma i just i feel like everyone plays edge lords and and you just you don't have to there's no reason you i mean look deciding to go out adventuring is not and putting yourself intentionally in perilous situations doesn't necessarily speak to the healthiest mindset but um. you don't have to come from that severely traumatized background and as a dm you do not need to take every character that a player gives you in their backstory and destroy them and use them as a tool to motivate your player i think that's part of why people create orphans is because they're afraid the second they put families into the games the dm uses that as a as a weapon Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's worth discussing with your players and and talking about whether that's something they want, whether that's something they don't want. But yeah, healthy family, I'm here for the healthy family characters. I love it.
0: Um you touched so you touched on accessibility before. I'd love for you to if if you could just tell us like what people can do, listen to this to, to help improve accessibility and representation within their games.
1: Um talk to your players, you know, make it clear that anyone who has access needs is more than welcome to ask for things and that you will accommodate those needs. Um, I always try and think about the things I am describing in multiple modes. So I like to have, if I can have a physical version as well as a, uh, a descriptive version, you know, tactile versus imaginative. Um, if you can... When you're describing places, think in all of your senses. Um, taking breaks is key. I, I I usually put breaks in anywhere between an hour and a half and two hours in um, and every couple of hours. Um, I have an open table. If people need to stand up, go to the restroom, whatever they need to do, you're more than welcome. If people need to use devices, that's fine, um, you know. It's really just allowing people to do the things they need to do to be able to focus and enjoy the game. Um, In terms of in-world, just letting disabled people exist in the world where disability isn't their motivation for existing, where it isn't their defining characteristic, um, you know, where people have, disabled people have jobs and um, where you have multiply marginalized people. where where you have people who are in relationships and have families um just including people in your world um also i think one of the things that i've really noticed is that uh for you know npcs and especially with monsters that you fight people default to calling those creatures him um and and have a table and randomly assign your pronouns to your your npcs for combat and so that you are describing because the way it's described you would think there were never any female goblins ever
0: Did you make a good You're point going,
1: well. and so so just even starting to think about that starts to change the texture of the world um and and being aware of of where you know historically we have had things that are real world um biases affect our narratives um and trying to get rid of that you know and, and and move away from that and having conflict based not on you know dwarves hate elves but rather this community has a conflict with this community you know this city with this city for this reason it's you know there's a trade dispute um there's a group that's been infiltrating and you know stealing whatever like have have actions rather than just like bioessentialism or or you know just blanket statements about groups i -hmm. think um
2: is is key
0: I mean, it
2: makes sense to me.
0: I hope it makes sense to all you're listening um, out there. So, if you would so indulge me in some fun, because obviously we talk about a lot of serious things, part of the point of the show, but if you'd indulge me in some fun, you are going on a retreat to a remote island of a uh, weather system of your choice. I personally wouldn't choose tropical, because, you know, have you seen me? I'm already sunburned. Uh,
1: Similar Uh, situation here, yep. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
0: I'd go somewhere much more temperate. But you're going away to this remote escape and to take with you, you're allowed to take one film, one album, one book and one game of your choice, video or board or whatever. The rules are, uh, you can have like, if it comes in a collection or a box set, you can have that in one thing. Like, you know, say uh, I've got the entire Witcher collection of one set of books it comes it sells in one thing. You can have that um, and you can only sort of have like one of each form.
2: What are you going to take with you? oh my gosh um
1: oh wow that's really hard <laughs> um is there someone else there because that just, changes the
2: game
0: just you it's, it's you're just your own you. self-indulgent and on for magical reasons, everything works like it you have power in the i
1: mean for a game, I feel like it's gonna have to be something like Tetris, where it's just gonna be leveling up your skill on it because if you play a narrative game, you're gonna reach the end and then start over, and it's there's no real there's not going to be anything you're really gonna grow like it'll get boring very fast, I think
2: okay. um. For A book, my first instinct is never wear, but
0: it, it feels like such a devilish set of questions, but it's meant to be fun, <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, or or maybe I, I don't know, maybe uh, something like lock and key, like the, the whole lock and key a series or sandman Mm -hmm. something like that a graphic novel where you have art to look at as well as text
0: okay nice. there's
1: just going to be layers to that um if you're having to read this over and over um i mean i don't know how long this retreat is that changes it i guess um
0: for as long as you want it that's the whole point. you're going to get away
1: yeah tv show my favorite tv show ever is slings and arrows so that that's probably what i would take nice what am i forgetting
2: um an album Oh, an album. Um It's it's not, easy. not it's easy. So
1: hard.
0: I've had a few people go um, so sort of like down. My like... brother
1: makes my brother makes me mixes. Okay. Um he has for years and years, and there's a mix that he made me that I really, really love. So probably a, a mix he made me years ago
0: you tell us maybe like a little, was... fla- little flavor of what's on it yeah
1: it's it it has radiohead it has um who
2: all is on that i'm trying to think through it uh dispatches on there um
1: i think postal Service is on there i i'm not I don't have the playlist in front of me, so I'm I'm blanking on a lot of it. Sorry, but worry. it's kind of an it's kind of an an indie lineup. It's a it's a pretty chill, like it's not a. It, it's just good relaxing music, and and uh, yeah, I think that that probably would be what I take.
0: That's a, I mean that's an excellent set of, set of goods. I'll be fair.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so before we wrap up. One of the things I like to do is turn the tables upon myself and say, is there any questions you'd like to ask me? I will warn you that yeah, I've had to... the Desert Island one before.
1: I want to know what you're working on right now.
0: What am I? Well, PhD life. Uh, there was no rest yeah. for the wicked. And I clearly did some very horrible things in a previous life. Uh, so just sort of, you know, the jet... video games, mental health research, sort of like looking at like experiments and collecting data. Um but, you know, it, it's conference season, so I was up in York in September, sort of early September, for, for the IGGI conference. So it was me and the Game Studies fam. That was really nice. Went to a workshop nice. on accessibility, actually, because someone's doing their PhD uh, there uh, on, like, gaming accessibility. So I got a bit shouty in that. That was quite nice. Um, at the end of September, obviously this is, for Jeremy Berry Me reasons, this will be after, this. this will be before mm-hmm. this goes out uh i'll be down in brighton for the british psychological society cyber psychology conference Try saying that after a few beers um <laughs> uh so yeah you know i i really enjoy public speaking you're never with a guest um so i like presenting and talking about like what i'm doing so it's more just kind of like i'm in the middle of like the whole journey so there's like writing stuff up but then trying to like be a person that's visible on like being on twitter and like producing work um but you know, obviously also doing all my fun charity things with people like Take This and Safe in Our World and that sort of business. So I'm never never bored. Always busy, never yeah. bored. Uh but that was a really sweet question. I don't think anyone's ever just
2: asked me No, like, I'm so... I'm
1: so curious because I'm I'm really interested in what's ha- happening academically in games right now. Um I, I did a I gave the keynote at the Generation Analogue uh conference. This summer and sorry just like and
0: just gave a keynote just really casually it was in it
1: was wild it was wild i it was wild and terrifying and i was very honored to be asked but but i was just really excited to be in a space with a bunch of academics and get to talk about you know the work everyone is doing and what people are doing research on and you know it's just it's fascinating it's fascinating stuff um so yeah i i've been really enjoying hearing what people are are working on academically um with games and sort of the intersection of games and other um, and other fields. It's yeah, that's, that's all very, very exciting to me. So I'm, I'm really curious about it.
0: Well, uh, again, thank you for that. And I appreciate having a nice, a nice question to get. I've had some really like philosophical questions where I've gone. "Eh," So that's nice. Meaning Uh, of
1: the meaning of life kind of things.
0: I think, I think I did get asked like, do you think games can teach us anything about humanity? And I was like, well, yes because art is a representation of the people living at the time they expressed it and just also
1: empathy yeah
0: empathy teaches
1: you how to connect with people you know critical thinking creative problem solving lots of stuff in there
0: so as we wind down towards the end of this episode i feel like i could keep chatting to you all night but i won't keep you because you've got you're a busy person i respect that um is there anything else that you want to give mention to, want to shout about, want to, like, let people know about uh, before um, sort of giving everyone your, your deets as to where they can find I'm you? I'm sure
1: that I, I should be. Well, I, I, I'm I not sure on the timing of this, but I think the Anansi's Tapestry of Lives Kickstarter is up when this is coming out, um, which is a book of NPCs uh, for games. It'll have uh, descriptions, opening monologues. Um, all of those monologues are also going to be available Um as uh voiced by pr- professional voice actors um you get vtt tokens and all sorts of stuff it's going to be really really cool and there's now i think over 85 people working on the book all sorts of incredible folks um and uh mostly marginalized creators as well um so that's really exciting correct me if i'm wrong but that,
0: that's uh, be never ending be never
1: ending like, yeah, yeah so never ending is launching it um and I'm I'm really excited. I I I designed a character in that who's an ambulatory wheelchair user, uh, like me, and uh, she is a uh, a, 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 like a circus performer basically, um, as part of a a troupe. And I also did the voiceover for her, uh, and one other character. So you can you can find that on Kickstarter. It's called Anansi's Tapestry of Lives. Link will be um, so a time that's be you found this. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, so that's really fun. Um, Come check out Children of Erte and Vampire, I think, is over by the time this comes out. Uh, But Radiant Stories is still going.
0: Don't worry. Watch it all.
1: Yeah. Um, The Accessibility and Gaming Resource Guide. What else is going to be out by then? Trying to think what what I can talk about and (laughs) will be available. Um, Clementine is really fun. I'm really proud of it. Um, I did not write it, but I consulted on it. So this is available at your friendly neighborhood comic shop. Um, this is the first graphic novel of a three graphic novel series. Um, if you played the Telltale Walking Dead games, you know Clem, and uh, it's really fun to get to to know her now as a as a teenager. Um, I'm really really proud of of the work we did on those books. So yeah, we'll see what else is out by by this point, but. Mm-hmm. There's lots of fun projects happening in the works.
0: And then last but obviously not least, where's best people to find you? Obviously on the video version, your Twitter handle is on screen, but...
1: Yeah, um, so the main place to find me is on Twitter. I am at DreamWisp. That's the same on Instagram as well. Um, You can find me on uh, streaming on Twitch as DreamWispJen, J-E-N, uh, and... Those are those are the best spots. There are links on all of those to find the other places where I am. <laughs>
0: Excellent.
1: Um. Yeah.
0: The last thing as well, I'm just going to drop it into the conversation because I also adore adore it. But like you, you have designed dice previously. That's a thing you've done. I have.
1: Yes. Where are my dice? The, the I, dream they should be Dice. I within have reach.
0: A set, um. Myself and they're beautiful. They're, I don't have it like on me because they're in display. Oh,
1: here's. Well, here's the uninked set. Um, my inked set is, I think, buried under some stuff right now. I feel like I caused a panic, are... and
0: I didn't mean to.
1: <laughs> no, um... I just, I, they're usually right in front of me, so I, I'm a little <laughs> surprised I can't see them from where I am. It's, but yeah, um... these are, um, you can get them through Die Hard Dice. These are the one. These are called, they're called the the set with the the inking their high contrast is called chiaroscuro and these are called tenebrism i'm trying to get the bag open um and so yes i designed these so these are the uninked ones this is tenebrism mm-hmm. um but they are they're like a midnight blue with sort of black and silver swirled through and i'm i'm very proud of them <laughs> they are
0: they're really nice they're like i think the 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 show imagery has them with like blueberries and stuff um mm-hmm. yeah ink- we we
1: took um some some renaissance paintings cuz i that was where i what i based them on and so the the the, the, the promo images look like uh oil paintings
2: yeah they,
0: i mean they look wonderful and the ink set is really nice really high contrast very nice for me being your blind boy that i am um so just wanted to mention that a hey, because i love them and i love a bit of fan service even on my own show uh thank you yeah thank you so much yeah for being on the show, thank you with so me. much. I have been—I think I would almost go so far as to say I have been thrilled to be with you, but I'm not changing the name. Oh, of the show you.
1: I thrilled to be at here at this
0: point. So it, I'm psyched to have been with you at this point. All that remains me for you to do right say. So thank you, thank you everyone for listening. For our video people, I always do this. I always forget what the thing is. I'm going to flick over to our ending screen for like two seconds before I press the button. So that's now. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it do like subscribe leave reviews check out Jam with all the links well thank you so much for listening to another episode of psyched to be with you i hope you enjoyed it just as much as i did if you did do please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts it really helps Uh, otherwise check out the description of the episode for the links for the guest but also uh, to keep up with information about the show and myself Uh, i really hope you enjoyed this listen Uh, until next time take it easy look after your mind body and soul and i'll see you again for another episode very very soon bye bye wherever you found all these shenanigans and as ever look after your mind body and soul and i'll see you again soon bye bye thank you so much